Hello, this is John Bowling, and thank you for listening to the Franklin First United Methodist Church podcast. I hope you enjoy this and find it encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to check us out online, go to www.franklinfirstumc.com. I want to read from the ninth chapter of Matthew, just a few verses, probably uh, a story that you're familiar with. It's actually a story within a story. Uh, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 18 through 22. While He was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him, Jesus of course, and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Then Jesus turned and saw her, and he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. It's no stretch, of course, to say that Jesus' ministry was a healing ministry. We think of Jesus in many ways, an itinerant teacher and preacher, one who had no home, one who told many stories, the scriptures even says he taught them many things in parables. And as much as Jesus preached and taught, he healed. All four of the Gospels tell us stories about Jesus healing. He healed bodies, of course. We know that Jesus restored infirmities. There was a man who was blind. There was a man with a withered hand. He healed minds. I think of the man that was living in the tombs, possessed by many demons. His name was Legion. And casting out those demons, Jesus healed that man's mind. He healed relationships. I think about the lepers. Lepers who lived in leper colonies, away from those who were clean. He healed relationships, certainly when we think about the woman at the well, or Zacchaeus. He healed souls, most certainly. He taught about salvation. The paralytic whom he healed, remember his friends cut a hole in a roof where Jesus was speaking and they lowered their friend because they believed in Jesus' power to heal. But the first thing Jesus said to that man was, my son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say anything about healing. But he perceived that the Pharisees and others were questioning among themselves, who is he to forgive sins? And so to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins, he also healed the man's body. Jesus healed souls. Jesus still heals souls. That's a part of the power of the cross, right? The resurrection, His atonement for our sin. And we call upon the name of the Lord and He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He still heals souls today. And just as much as Jesus was a healer 2,000 years ago when He walked the earth, we can still experience the healing power of God through Jesus. 
And there are numerous ways that we experience that healing. One way, of course, is through a miracle. I believe in miracles. I hope you believe in miracles. All miracles are not the same. I think we can experience a miracle in a variety of ways. Some miracles are instantaneous. Perhaps you know of someone or you yourself have been the recipient of a miracle. Some miracles are instantaneous. Others come with time. Sometimes, though, I think we misunderstand miracles. Miracles in many ways, when we think about healing, are not as common as we would like them to be. But we often refer to birth, for example, as a miracle. Now, birth is incredible. It's awe-inspiring. We are amazed nine months in the womb, and then a child is born. But birth isn't really a miracle. Now, I know I'm going to get some hate mail and somebody's going to try to lecture me after the service, but, but it's natural. A miracle, by definition, is something that happens outside the natural realm. It is natural to give birth for us and for, for all animals. Birth is awe-inspiring. It's incredible. It's beyond words, but it, it's not truly a miracle. We can experience healing through an instantaneous miracle or a miracle perhaps, that occurs over time. But I think God also heals by giving us wisdom and time, the gifts of nature, science. Healing, I believe, is, is, often, is often administered and facilitated through doctors and medical science and knowledge. These are all gifts of God. I think we experience healing, particularly of our emotions and memories and relationships. And I know somebody's hand's going to go up and say, what, what are you talking about? Healing of emotions, healing of memories. That's, that's just a little too weird. But I've known so many people, so do you, who have had tragic experiences, painful experiences, abusive experiences. And emotionally they're still stuck in grief and pain and discord and are not able to move forward in, in life. There, there's a man, he used to teach at Asbury Seminary, I can't think of his name, had a wonderful book 20 years ago, uh, Steve Siemens uh, wrote a book on uh, the healing of emotions, powerful book, reminding us that God is, is not just interested in our soul, God's interested in all of, of who we are. And very often, we can experience healing in relationships and in our emotions and in our memories through wisdom and discernment and prayer. God may lead us to another that's had a similar experience and in listening to their story, their sharing their story, we might find healing through talking and communicating with someone, even a counselor we can find healing. But there's another kind of healing that I want us to think about this morning. Now the story that, that I read from Matthew's Gospel probably is a story that you've heard before. And as I said, it's a story within a story. And it's a story about being interrupted. 
which is another lesson in and of itself. Maybe we should think the next time we are interrupted, maybe it's a holy moment. Maybe it is a sacred moment. Maybe God is going to use us in that experience for something grand and good and wonderful because Jesus was on his way to do something else and then he's interrupted. And we didn't finish the story as it pertains to the beginning of the story, but we heard the part that I wanted us to focus on this morning. He's on the way to heal the daughter of a man and his daughter has died. And he wants Jesus to come and raise her from the dead. But here comes this woman, this woman who has this physical ailment. She's had this hemorrhage, this, this bleeding for, for a dozen years. And she says to herself, if, if only I touch the hem of his garment. He doesn't have to necessarily touch me. He doesn't have to know it. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. Now we find the story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I like what Mark says about her in the King James Version. He says this, And she had suffered many things of many physicians. I find that an intriguing line. She'd suffered many things from many physicians. Can you imagine first century medical knowledge or lack of it? And the remedies that were often just nonsensical. And she had no doubt gone from one doctor to another. In fact, we read that she'd spent all her money on cures, and yet still she was suffering. And so she comes to Jesus, perhaps too humble, or maybe too afraid or too timid or too ashamed to go to him directly. But she has this thought, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. What a tremendous trust. What a tremendous statement of belief. And Jesus, Jesus recognized that. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. I like the fact that he calls her daughter. Never met her, never saw her face until he turned around. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Maybe part of her healing was in recognizing that she was a child of God. You know, there's so many people that I meet along life's way. You do too. And sometimes we wonder how different their life would be. Maybe this is a person that's just kind of flittered away their time and their life and their gifts and they're not half the person that they could be and maybe they don't think their life is worth very much because they don't know they're a son or daughter of God well as we talk about healing and think about healing there are three things that are important to me that I want you to hear about healing and the first thing is that sickness is not God's will. I don't believe that at all. In fact, I think those who tell us such things not only have a poor theology, but have a very lazy theology. I don't have to think very much if I just believe everything is God's will, which, which really, you may say that, but you don't really believe it anyway. Because... If you believe that, then you don't believe that you have any kind of free choice. Everything is happening because it's, it's God's will. What we're saying is that, that God is a puppeteer and we're, on, and we're on strings. But if you really believed 
that God makes us sick, then why would you ever take an aspirin? Why would you ever go to the doctor? Why would you ever take a prescription medicine that's been prescribed to you? Because if you did these things, it would be like thwarting the will of God. No, God doesn't make us sick. There's not one time when Jesus says, which was a common belief in his day, and Jesus turned those ideas upside down. If you were rich and wealthy, you were favored of God. If you were poor, you were a sinner. If you were healthy, you were blessed because you were righteous. If you were sick, you or someone in your family, perhaps your parents, had sinned and you are experiencing punishment. You remember when Jesus walked into a certain village and there was a blind man there? And the disciples, see, they'd been raised this way. They asked, who sinned? Here is parents. Jesus' response, one word, neither. There's not one place in the Gospels where Jesus says our sin makes us sick. There's not one place in the Gospels where Jesus says it's God's will that you be sick. And there's not one place where he says you're sick so you can be strengthened in your faith. I've, I've heard that before too. I usually just walk away from people that say such things. Healing is God's desire. Wholeness is God's desire for us, not illness, not sickness. But at the same time, it's also important for us to understand that all healing is temporary. All healing that we will ever experience is temporary. I, I, I got this story, it was in the news from Geneva, Switzerland. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals, worldwide, the global death rate remains a constant 100%. Does that shock anybody? We know from the very beginning that we're able to reason that one day we are going to die. All healing that we receive in this world is temporary. I like to remind people that this, this girl, that Jesus was on his way to raise her up. She had died. Her father says, will you raise her from the dead? Jesus raises her from the dead. But do you know what happened many years later? She died. The blind man, that Jesus restored his sight. If he lived a long life, do you know what happened? He got nearsighted. He needed bifocals, but Ben Franklin wasn't around. The man with a withered hand. If he lived long enough after Jesus restored his hand, he got arthritis. And his hands were stiff and they ached. All healing is temporary we experience through our faith in Jesus Christ eternal healing as we enter the eternal kingdom through resurrection. That's when we receive all complete full healing. We, we had a minister um, in Kentucky a couple years ago. He moved to Florida and uh, he had a four-year-old son. His wife was pregnant with great anticipation they awaited the, the arrival of their next child. 
And when the child was born, what I remember is we had just started this, this email system within the annual conference, and prayer concerns of pastors were known throughout Kentucky. And Wes's wife gave birth to a child with an exposed spine and brain. Now, I know there's a name for that, and I don't, I don't know what it is. And so they, they waited. They waited for this child to die, which is beyond tragic. And, and Wes told me that when he came home to tell his son, who had been eagerly awaiting a brother or sister, he told his son, your brother's not going to be coming home. And he tried to explain the best he could to his four-year-old son, and he seemed to understand it. And so mom and dad spent a lot of time at the hospital waiting, being with one another, being with this child. And after about a week, the child died. Wes came home and he told the son that his brother had died. And then the son did something very unexpected. He stood up and he said, good, Dad, now he can dance. And Wes was, was startled by that at first. That, that was not the reaction he was expecting, and it didn't do anything at first to comfort Wes either. But then he realized, my son is taking seriously what he hears in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. He knows that his brother isn't hurting anymore. His brother has been made whole in heaven. And I think we need to remember, as painful as it is at times, to lose someone from life. And, and I've been at bedsides of people, young and old, praying for healing, praying for a miracle. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. We don't know why. We can talk about it for a long time, and ultimately, we just don't know. The Bible tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't know why some are healed and, 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 and some are not, but I do know and I do believe and I do trust that upon resurrection, there is full and complete eternal healing. But this is what I want us to really think about this morning. When Jesus healed, almost always he laid hands on a person. Now I know we experience the opposite today. Someone who sought to touch not even the physical warmth of Jesus, but just the hem of his garment. But still, there was a touch. And when Jesus touched people, I think it harkens back to the Old Testament when kings and prophets were anointed by the laying on of hands. We still lay hands on those that will be ordained for ministry. We lay hands on those we baptize. We lay hands on people very often when we pray. We don't believe we have any kind of special power. We, we are affirming God's touch on that person. And we're also conveying our own love and affection. Paul says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now men, don't start that because your, your wives are going to not appreciate that and the person you may kiss may not appreciate it either. 
But it was a part of Middle Eastern culture. We, 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 we've all watched television shows and they're still, uh, I think of Italians will, will, will do that, at least uh, in the movies, right? But in, but in some cultures, that, that's still done. In some cultures, hugging is more prevalent uh, than shaking hands. It's communicating a touch, an arm on the shoulder, a kiss on the cheek, a pat on the back, an embrace. Very often, that touch goes far beyond what words can convey. We've all done it at the funeral home. We've all done it at the hospital. We see a friend who has a parent or a child or a spouse that's in the bed and they're sick or we've been to the funeral home and there's a, a loved one that has died and we, you know, what, what do you say? There, there is no right word to say. The best word is no word conveyed in a hug, in embrace. And that communicates so much, doesn't it? And I think it's lamentable that we've become so paranoid on this subject in America. We've grown touchy about touching. And I, and I know we've, you know, we've got to be careful. We've got to protect our children. There are some weirdos around. I, I don't know how many times when Wesley was first born, uh, well, when he was two or three years old, we would have that conversation all the time. And I would ask him, uh, has anybody touched you? You don't let anybody touch you. And, and he started, you know, even at the age of three, rolling his eyes. Nobody's touched me, Dad. But we hear stories and we read them in the paper. And we're frightened because there are some weirdos around. I, I get that. We, we need to, to, to take precautions against those that would betray our trust. But, but sometimes I think we've gone just a little too far. I, I knew a pastor, this was 15 years ago, uh, that only allowed men to hug men and women to hug women uh, in, in his church. I, I thought that was crazy. You know, not, not, not everybody is, is taking advantage of a person. Sometimes that, that touch from a friend needs to be experienced. I love you. I, I'm thinking about you. You're in my prayers. These are thoughts but it can be conveyed so powerfully through a touch. No minister, no teacher. I, I'm not sure there's a boss in any profession that can really get close to a person without having a physical touch. Again, it communicates more than words are av ever able to convey. The Menninger Institute years ago, Topeka, Kansas, learned about some children who didn't cry. Now, I know some of you who are parents are, are thinking to yourself, boy, I like a child like that. But you really don't because children, infants, communicate to us through crying. I'm hungry. I need to be fed. I need to be changed. Or sometimes I just need to be held in rocks so I can sleep and rest. They cry to communicate that they need something from us. And the Menninger Institute learned of children that were crib babies and they never cried. They were obviously from abusive situations. They had been neglected. And so a study was conducted. And people from retirement homes and other places were tasked with holding babies, rocking babies. 
And it, of course, they began even when the children weren't crying. But they would pick them up regular intervals, I think every 90 minutes, would make sure they were clean and dry and fed and, and cuddled. And many of those babies learned to cry again. Now, what I've just described is what we now know as failure to thrive syndrome. And we've learned a lot about failure to thrive, that there are children, it's not so much physically that they do not develop well, but emotionally do not develop well, and can sometimes even develop antisocial personality tendencies because they have not been cuddled and held and given attention. They need physical warmth and they need to be held, touched. They can go without babies vision, they can go without the sense of smell, they can go without hearing, but they cannot thrive without being touched. In fact, some children can die. Look that up on your own. Google it. Failure to thrive syndrome. Some children will die because they are not touched. In the early 90s, I, I did uh, some postgraduate work at Presbyterian Seminary in Louisville. And for several months, we were supposed to read and write some papers, and then we, we gathered together for two weeks. So for 10 days, I was with a group of about 15 for seven or eight hours a day. And there was one young man from Sierra Leone. He spoke English, but he spoke broken English. He'd only been in the States a few years. He, he was studying to be a minister. And as we got to know one another better, it was, I'm sure, during the second week that Joseph told us, if you remember, Sierra Leone uh, was in a civil war for 11 or 12 years, beginning in the, in the early 90s. And Joseph came home one day, and when he came to his village, it was silent. Everyone in the village had been slaughtered. He went into his home. He found his mother and his siblings shot or cut up to pieces. They were dead. Blood everywhere. It wasn't long after that that he came to the States. And he's telling us this story, and he starts crying, of course, because what he missed more than anything about being at home in Sierra Leone is that so few people touched him. Here was a man who was a different color, from a different ethnic and cultural background, who wore clothing that was distinctly different than what most Westerners were wearing. He spoke a broken English with a different accent, and many people kept him at arm's length. It wasn't until, and it was quite some time after he was involved in a church, before he experienced that soothing, healing touch. It makes me think that Frederick Nietzsche wanted to rid the world of Christianity because he thought Jesus made us weak. Because Christianity encouraged kindness. And he thought Christianity drained people of their strength. And if so, we could rid the world of Jesus 
rid the world of Christians, then we could really have a people that were like supermen, very strong. And of course, he influenced Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler and Friedrich Nietzsche are, are long gone off the face of the earth, but you and I both know very well that there are still people like that. They think that way. To be kind and gentle and loving, to show compassion, to touch, to hug, to embrace is weakness. It's not strength, it's weakness. No, it's not weakness at all. It's very Christ-like because it can bring healing. To touch a person can bring healing. It conveys the goodness and the grace of God, forgiveness, compassion, caring, presence. And so I wonder, I wonder how many in this room right now are in need of healing. Maybe there's someone in this room that's struggling with a physical ailment. Maybe nobody knows, but you know. You're, you're, you're struggling with a physical ailment, and you would like to pray for healing. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who's gone through some terrible, traumatic episode. Maybe other people know, maybe they don't. And maybe it's been recently, maybe it was decades ago. But that experience has held you captive. And you need to be healed from that memory. Maybe there are some in this room today, and you no longer talk to your parents, or you no longer talk to your children, or you no longer talk to a sibling. Maybe you need healing in a relationship. We're getting ready to watch a video that Johnny Cash made. Maybe in his, I guess it was the last video he ever did, among one of the last songs he ever recorded, which was actually a rock and roll song, a Nine Inch Nails song that he redid called Hurt. And the song begins with the words, I hurt myself today. Well, sometimes we hurt ourselves and we compound the hurt we experience from life when we don't seek healing. So I want to encourage you, as the video is played and as you hear the song, I want you to come forward. If you're in need of healing, of whatever kind of healing it is, I want to invite you to come forward. If there's room here, I know we've only got room for three or four people at this altar. If we don't have room, kneel on the floor uh, or, or pull up a chair and sit in the chair uh, or just stand. But here's the, here's the thing. I don't want anyone who comes to pray to pray by themselves. I would like for friends to come, not just family members, but friends come and, and just lay your hands on that person to remind them of God's presence, to remind them of your care, to remind them of your love, and you pray for them as well. Will you come as we hear the song? I hurt myself 
to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in Again, thank you for listening. This is John Bowling, pastor of Franklin First United Methodist Church in Franklin, Kentucky. Hope that you can visit with us sometime and you can find all the information about our church and how you can be involved at franklinfirstumc.com. If you'd like to financially support this ministry, that would greatly be appreciated. And again, you can find our mailing address on our website. Take care.